to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. My guest today is Mike Bayer. Mike's a life coach who frequently appears on Dr. Phil. Now he's known mostly for his work with celebrity clients, but he worked as a drug and alcohol counselor for many years. He also started a treatment center called CAST Centers for people who want to get treatment for both mental health issues and substance abuse problems. He's the host of a popular podcast called Always Evolving with Mike Bayer, and he's a New York Times bestselling author. I recently found his book, One Decision, and I invited him to be on the show to talk about how living an authentic life makes decisions easier. So today, Mike shares strategies for becoming more authentic, tools for making better decisions, and strategies for gaining confidence in yourself. Make sure to stick around for the end of the episode for the therapist take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down the strategies Mike shares and tell you how to apply them to your own life. So here's Mike Bear on how becoming more authentic helps you grow mentally stronger. Mike Bear, I'm so excited to talk to you on the Very Well Mind podcast. A while back, I read your first book, Best Self, and it was really good. But I'd love to hear from you about what happened after you wrote that first book. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do after that. And then Dr. Phil, who I work a lot with, and he uh, gives me a lot of mentorship and advice. He's like, well, you know, you need to be start." You need to start working on your second book. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because um, kind of I've had in my head, if I ever wrote a book, it would just, oh, I would write a book. But then all of a sudden you find yourself in this space where you're having to come out with more content and you're like, oh my gosh, what else do I have to squeeze out of myself? I thought I gave it all away. And then, you know, I was I was contemplating a lot of different themes. Um, in terms of like what I really wanted to say and kind of my exploration for writing a book. Usually I'll travel a lot and meditate and think about who am I talking to? Like, who do I want to help and how do I want to help them and make sure whatever I put in a book is something that's like tested out a lot. And, um, and I just came to like the realization that everything comes down to one decision like everything. And I thought, what if I make it, you know, what if I help people make decisions that are more in alignment with what they want out of life? And what if it's as simple as making one decision? And that was kind of, then I birthed the book and it was a pregnancy for like, you know, a year or so. Well, and I learned in reading it that you're sort of an unlikely author, right? You said you have dyslexia and ADHD. So I can imagine sitting down and writing a book is a little more complicated. Yeah. And and first, I was held back twice. So eighth grade and kindergarten. And I never did well in English. And I sure as hell never thought I'd be writing books as part of my career path. Like it wasn't on my vision board. There were no books, you know, so... It's been a huge learning curve, but that's the great thing about life is we get to figure out sometimes opportunities come our way and we may have a reaction and go like, 
oh, I don't like that or it's not for me. But we haven't done it enough to decide if it's not for us. We just kind of have this instant uh, reaction like, oh, I'm not good at it. So therefore, I shouldn't do it. But the reality is we're not, you know, we didn't come out of the womb being good at anything, you know, besides crying and being hungry. So, you know, I just have really dug down and tried to learn. And I appreciate what you're doing with your podcast and, you know, bringing mental health and mental wellness and, uh, you know, bringing it out to the masses. It's awesome. Well, absolutely. And I think for people who say, gosh, that I could never write a book uh, or I could never be a, a coach, I could never do a lot of these things. You're somebody that by the sounds of it years ago, never imagined you'd be right where you are right now, that you'd be helping other people with addiction and writing books and talking about motivation and self-help, right? Yeah. I mean, that was not at all what, you know, the thing is that I've found is when we take our previous pain and turn it into inspiration, that's when we create some magic. And it's actually where we get so much passion and it doesn't feel like work because we're taking, whether it be pain or, you know, uh, being of service and just trying to, I find that I light up in my life when I'm helping other people light up in theirs. That's just like kind of when I get activated before it would have been like getting high and getting high with other people. Now it's like helping other people. So um, yeah, I mean, it's just, we got to keep pushing through it. This woman told me early in my sobriety, she said, it's either grow or go, Michael, it's grow or go. So I kind of keep that mantra going. And how do you make that shift from thinking, all right, life's about getting high to I'm going to help actually help people and invest my time into doing something different? Well, I took the hot mess express to nowhere. So I didn't, you know, I come from a family of disordered eating, clinical depression, um, addiction, and, uh, and just numbing. And I, you know, I got sober this last time and stayed sober since at 22 years old. Um, and I made the decision to get sober because I felt like I was just, there was no other option. Um, you know, I was using crystal meth. Um, and that is a drug where you stay up for a week at a time and kind of strips you away from your soul. And so once I got sober, I uh, became a counselor. Then I did interventions for years. And then everything's been kind of an evolution. I, I started up a treatment center 15 years ago. And then I would say the last like six or seven, it's been coaching. It's more helping people live in their art or change up their relationships or career. Or I would say people who are functioning well above um, debilitating struggles. And But I love the whole range. I mean, you could give me someone who hasn't left the house in two weeks. And uh, sometimes that's you know amazing and fun. And sometimes it's helping someone make a lot more money. So I like the How did you start working with Dr. Phil? How did that come to be? Well, you know, I used to, uh, I threw, the, I have a foundation called the Cast Foundation. And what we did was we set up a self-improvement workshop on music tours. And we were on a music tour in Los Angeles and Dr. Phil was our guest speaker. And so I met Dr. Phil and, um, 
you know, at the time I, I hadn't watched a lot of Dr. Phil. I knew he was a really smart guy. I knew he had a huge television show. Um, but during the time it's on, it's 3 p.m. Los Angeles time. I would be at work typically, so I wouldn't be at home. And um, and then what happened was I went to lunch with him and another manager. Uh, he manages the Jonas Brothers. His name's Phil McIntyre. And I thought I was bringing the two of them together for like a business meeting. And then all of a sudden in this lunch meeting on the Paramount lot, like the meeting flipped on me. And then he asked me if I'd ever done television. And I was like, I did it one time. I went on like the Katie Couric show, but it was like, I talked for like six seconds and it was awful. It was the most exhausting thing ever. Like I remember sleeping for 10 hours after I was so stressed out. I'm like, I don't know how anyone would ever want to do this. But I said, yes, just like we said, with being an author. And then uh, I went on episode two days later. And then all of a sudden, you know, I've been on like over 40 episodes in two years. And, um, and you know, all of a sudden I took on a new reinvention of sorts, you know? So that story, I hope will give people hope because for people who say, you know, nothing good will ever happen or I'm struggling in life. One of the things you talk a lot about in your book is sometimes when you run into an obstacle, you can turn it into an opportunity and good things can come out of really bad things sometimes. Yeah, and imagine if I would have said to Dr. Phil, if he said, oh, have you done television before? And my immediate response was like, no, I hate TV. Or if he said, hey, do you want to come on the show? And I and let's say I would have gone, oh, let me think about it. Well, millions of people would want to be a coach on that program. And so it's usually it's it's literally taking it as an opportunity, like you just asked, because um now it's you know, it's an opportunity to help more people before I got to help someone one-on-one or at the treatment center or on a music tour, but now I get to do it for the masses, which is fantastic. And yeah, so much of life, right, is about how do we take things that we're struggling with that feel like they're just not working for us and how do we create the opportunity like this podcast the obstacle would be oh my god we can't meet in person and have a cup of tea and probably connect you and I Amy more than since we haven't ever met if we were together i maybe would learn more about you and you know oh she loves she loves a good kombucha oh she's there's a new flavor out whatever like you connect right, right. and and that experience doesn't exist. However, um, it's taking the opportunity to still not stop and to keep going and to connect and and uh, and put away those uh, ideas that it has to be a certain type of way. And I think that's been uh, a big part for a lot of everyone during COVID is just how do I take this thing that has changed my life for each person and how do I not only see the opportunities, but then start to make decisions um, to better our lives? So what advice do you have for people when they're struggling? And they say, uh, most of us, I think when we get in a dark place, we think life is too overwhelming. I can't do anything different. I'm stuck. Yeah. How do you help people when they just feel overwhelmed? Like my life's a mess. I don't even know where to begin. Those are my people. You know, those are, I love the thing, the great thing, Amy, is when you can help people change who like had really bad addictions or clinical depression, or I find everyone else is a hell of a lot easier. You know, like those people struggle majorly with self-esteem, 
to a, a, such an extent that it's like just to get where the person is maybe struggling is higher functioning. It takes them a few years just of like, so for me, I always take a look at like, what is it that someone can identify as being the major struggle? So like, let's narrow it down. Let's really define it. Because sometimes when we're struggling, we're just like, oh my God, everything sucks. And like, we get so jaded. But like, let's get really specific. Is it uh, financial fear? Is it feeling lonely? Is it is it feeling like there's no purpose and like no one loves you? Is it um, your physical health? Like, what is that thing that is making you feel like crap? And I love an assessment. And that's why in one decision in best self, like I'm going <laughs> to, this does not sound right, but I'm an assessment hoe, you know, you <laughs> I I just can't get enough of this. I just think assessments give you like insight. So it's like, let's assess. And then some people are like, no, I don't, nothing works. I don't want to assess anything. I'm like, you don't really even want to change. So it's like, if you don't really want to change, it's all good. Like, let's work. Let's help someone who does. Because some, usually if someone's willing, they can identify one thing they want to improve. So let's say they say, well, I just feel so lonely right now. I feel so lonely. Okay, when was the last time you didn't feel lonely? And you, you, my, what I do is I like to pull out of whoever I'm working with their own resources and access to their own solutions. And so a lot of what I do is ask questions and help them then go, okay, that's what I need to do. That's a decision. I'm ranting like now, but... No, I like that a lot. I'm a I'm a therapist by trade as well. So I love assessments. Sometimes it's so hard to tell when we make progress because it happens so slowly. And sometimes we don't know what our weaknesses are until we are able to take some sort of assessment that points it out. And self-awareness is key. And so whenever somebody can have something, a piece of paper in front of them, and I think one of the big things is figuring out what's the problem and what's just a symptom of the problem. Sometimes people come in saying, I have this problem, but really it's a symptom of something else that's going on behind the scenes and helping people figure that out so that they can start to create change. It's just kind of magical when you watch all of that happen. Yeah. And and helping people find out like, well, why aren't you taking action? Like we sat down, we discussed this last week, like and exploring, because I don't, I find a lot of people struggle with gaining insight to why they're not even doing something. Right. And then people feel guilty and they're ashamed and then they don't want to tell you like, oh, I didn't do this this week or we talked about this last week, but I didn't do it. And you can see like the look of horror on their face. Like, are you going to yell at me? Are you going to be mad at me? Disappointed in me? Right. And it's an opportunity to figure that out. Is it what else is going on behind the scenes that made you not do that thing? Yeah. How much time do you spend now in uh, private practice? Yeah, not much. So most of my time these days is writing and speaking and doing the podcast. So you got out completely. You don't work with anyone in that capacity. I do a tiny bit of coaching, but not much. I got you. So like you, what you found, and that's cool. It's like that, your art, you, and I imagine initially you were like, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do. And then you realize like, oh no, here's what I was meant to do. Like this. Yes. Yeah, I'm kind of an unlikely speaker, I guess. And I became an accidental author. HarperCollins was my first publisher, which is how I got introduced to your book, too. 
And it wasn't anything that I imagined and it's hard work, but it's, there's so rewarding as well to be able to get my message out there in a, to a bigger audience as opposed to one. Yeah, I remember I saw you, I remember you posted about your book. It was like a year ago. And then I like comment, I I think on Instagram and then I was like, yeah, my book was near yours and at Barnes and Noble or maybe Target or something. And so I took a picture and I sent it to you because I look, Hey, look, we're neighbors. (laughs) Yeah. It's so cool when you see your book out there, right? Oh, absolutely. It never gets old. And one of the things, so one of the things in your book that uh, you talk so much about is just being unapologetically authentic. Hmm. How did you come up with that idea and then figure out how you're going to explain it to people? Because speaking of social media, so many people feel like they have to put an image out there that so that other people will like them, that they'll respect them, that they'll look a certain way, but it doesn't feel authentic. Well, I've been talking about lately, like, it's fascinating to me because in the coaching space, there's this thing about being authentic. And, you know, if you just be yourself, everything will align. Then a lot of these coaches buy their followers. I just think like, and that's me unapologetically being authentic. And it's not out of, um, I'm not saying this as like a hater or jealous. It's just, I think like, you know, you're right that social media gives a perception and optic that somebody somehow is more important based upon how many followers they have. They could be a coach and somehow they're more important. And it's absolutely ridiculous because the type of work you do uh, is not at all in correlation with how many followers a person has. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the world seems to think differently. Um, but, you know, when I say unapology, unapologetically authentic, or I'm calling my best self, it's, it's about being yourself in like all scenarios. Like I in best self, my best self's a wizard named Merlin, okay? He's on my arm. Is on my shoes I wear today. I have wizards all over my house. That's my best self. Everyone has their own version of their best self. My anti-self is a witch named Angela. She's bitter and jaded, especially when I'm tired. It really comes out. I just, that is what I lean into. And like, sometimes people could be like, what the hell is Mike having me do? And it's uh, where I have them create their best self. But that's just like who I am. And I may not be the right coach or I may be the right coach or whatever. But I think that a lot of us struggle at different times in our life with trying to be someone who we believe we should be or that we think we should be or that we think others will accept us for being. And I just think social media is the last place on earth um, that I think authenticity lives, nor do I think it's the right place where people are like, just be yourself, you know, and grab their belly fat while... when really they're doing it for views and downloads like it just is what it is like it it, it's not it's not all like and i just i think it sometimes can be frustrating for someone looking from the outside in or trying to make a brand or a career and to feel like okay do i just do what those other people are doing or am i selling out and it's just if you we can't look towards social media for any self-esteem or validation because quite frankly, half of it's not real and half of it's bot followers, in my opinion. That's my two cents on it. 
I agree. They did this thing a while ago where women were taking off their makeup and saying, I'm going to be authentic because I'm going to show myself without makeup. Well, of course, the celebrities that were doing it were probably using, you know, hundreds of dollars of beauty treatments on a regular basis anyway. So we eventually figured out, well, even though you have this superstar celebrity who gets facials and all these expensive things, it's still they don't look like regular people like the rest of us might if we were to do the exact same thing. But so many people were feeling bad about themselves. Like, look at this person who's not wearing makeup and they're still beautiful. And should I do this? It's a- yeah, and I, would go, and I would go, well, what was the first person they took for their no, their no makeup selfie? That was probably like number 73. Right. <laughs> like, but I just think it's, a, it's an illusion. And I just hope that people realize that. Because I feel like if people realize that, as they're, especially for people looking to build a brand, I get a lot of people reaching out to me who are looking to be more of a coach or build their coaching business. And I, I try to help them realize what's real and what's not real because I think that's a helpful ingredient in, in not comparing yourself to other people. And how do we figure out who we are, who our authentic selves are? Because I think for so many of us, we've been pretending, we've been trying to be liked, we've been doing all of these things mm. for so long that it's hard to even know who who am I? Well, that's a great question. And I think we all have to remind ourselves. I mean, one is the people we surround ourselves with um, is incredibly helpful. It's just who has, you know, first degree of separation and are they loving and accepting us for who we are? But the other, I think, is what's helpful is to think of a time when uh, that wasn't based on outcome or admiration or someone going, you did amazing, but just a time where we felt connected with life, where we were at peace, where we were in the moment, where like we just were really feeling this moment of life. And I often like to help people then kind of describe the feelings, their thought process. And, and then what I do is I try to help people create an avatar that represents that part of them that they can use as a resource. So, I mean, there's probably a lot of different approaches. I just find the creation of like an avatar is helpful. Um, in because what happens for a lot of people is it's easy to be yourself when there's no perceived consequences uh, or stressors, you know. And so I find it's helpful for people to be understanding of who they are when they're walking into a situation where they feel like there's high stakes or high stressors. And everyone's different. Like, look, some people do mantras, some you know, we'll pray. Some people listen to music. Some people do stretching. Some people like, you know, we'll write a gratitude list. So I think it's just whatever works for a person. And what happens when we start to be more authentic? What's the benefits of it? Well, one benefit is we are less likely to end up completely out of alignment with our life. So, you know, um, that's when we don't, end up in a spot where we have a total meltdown or breakdown because life isn't mirroring how we feel on the inside. And so the outside is not matching up at all. And I think that causes a lot of stress internally. Um, So that's one just downside over time, I think. And that's what happens with a lot of people um, kind of in the public eye that I've worked with that can have moments where it's out of alignment because um, it's not fully honest. 
And um, I think the other part is just quality of life. You know, I think that uh, we're the only reason not to be authentic is if we believe that we're going to end up with a better life than we have today. But I don't, I don't, I haven't seen a situation where somebody uh, was really working hard to be someone else and be happy. But it's possible. I mean, I, I just don't know a lot of people like that. That's a good point. What about when you were thrust in the limelight when you started being on the Dr. Phil show? Did you ever struggle with thinking, I can't let people know what, what I'm really like behind the, behind the scenes? If people know the real me, then maybe they won't have as much respect or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, um, as you can see, like on my Instagram, I'm, I kind of have a like, I'm going to do what I want type of vibe, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, and I've had people who've given me feedback, like, oh, you need to put on a shirt more often, or, you know, like my literary agent one time when I love her, she's like, your profile looks like a dating profile. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm single. You know? <laughs> what do you want me to do? But, um, I, I think when I, it was, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, people sometimes want to carry out with a, uh, idea of who you are, but I don't know. I, the stressor for me probably, or like the anxiety was, um, was probably around like, okay, do I let people know or not I'm gay? Like that was a thing at different times for me because it's a weird thing when you're gay. You feel like you're like constantly coming out. Like like you have to like say it. Otherwise people assume. So like when I was getting a lot of messages from women and love letters and stuff like that, it's like, that's a little uncomfortable because I don't even know what I'm supposed to, what am I supposed to respond and be like, by the way, or not. Like, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but I also like, don't know if anyone needs to know anything. So how'd you come to that decision about, about what to do? Well, uh, I, well I, when I was writing one decision, you know, at the beginning, we talked about what are the three critical decisions you made in your life that are authentic. So, and part of the reason I put that in the book was so that other people could realize, especially people who struggle, that they have made decisions in their life that are authentic and have had great outcomes. And I found that the three decisions that people put were much more difficult to make than decisions they've made during COVID. Like everyone has this mindset like COVID and the hardest moments ever. But then when we look at someone's life, they're like, no, that actually, that was a lot harder than COVID. Right. You know, but it's like, it's selective memory, I suppose. But, um, but I, in one decision, I wrote it. And so then I felt like there was a intention to do it. Like I had a reason. Otherwise I was like, what's the reason? You know? Yeah, that makes sense. And you, you told some really good stories and they weren't always flattering. Like you talked about cheating. And yeah. and so, but I appreciated that. That was authentic that you said, hey, I messed up and and this is what happened and the story about in college and that sort of a thing. Yeah. Uh, but before we end, well, one big thing I want to talk about is how at the end of the book, you talk about once you're authentic, you make some decisions in life and then you leave it up to the universe. Which yes. so many other books are like, no, you keep working till you make it happen. Or if it doesn't happen, you didn't do a good enough job or you still have to hold out hope that someday things will change. You just kind of make it clear. You can only do so much and then some of it's not in your control. Yeah, the majority. I mean, that, and I think that's where if it was in our control, we lose opportunity. Like if we believe the universe 
wants us to win if we believe in it, then if we're so determined, like I'm not as much of a like goal acquisition coach as maybe a lot of people and everyone's different, right? So if someone needs to be a very organized, like measurable outcome process like that, then if I coach someone, I work in that regard. In my own life, I could say that I'm very a little more abstract and less like timelined. Um, so I really think it's like when we make a decision to be ourselves, and then we make decisions throughout the day, like I don't, at the end of the day, I feel like that is the most important and number one decision is to do stuff based upon our own values and integrity and uniqueness. And like, I don't, I don't subscribe to like, even though I'm friends with a lot of people who have had a lot of successes, I, I guess I'm just like, if that makes someone really happy to go, you know, start the company, do the business, the hustle of it all, like that's awesome and keep going for it. But I think a lot of people I work with, the majority of people in this country uh, aren't that and aren't uh, going to be the next, you know, $20 million brand. And so like, I want to not, I don't want, if someone also doesn't have the full commitment, like there's people who will say, I want that. And they're going to go to any lengths to get that. And they're going to believe it and they're going to do it. And it's just going to be the way that is. And I think a lot of people think they may be like that, but they're not. Right. And so I would rather not have someone believe that, just because someone like I, I just try to be a little more like real. I'm all about goals and dreams, but I just want someone to like to freaking dig themselves and like enjoy their life. You know, I like that because there's a lot of pressure on people to achieve certain things that are out of their control. So people will say, I want that job. Well, if they didn't get hired, they think it's because I'm not good enough. I didn't do a great job in the interview. But in reality, maybe the person who interviewed you hired their brother or they were already had the, somebody else internally that they were looking for. And yeah. so I think your message was great because it talks a lot about just the real win is just being okay with yourself, whether it turns out the way you wanted or you end up going down another path. That's okay. Yeah. And clearly in your life, this wasn't what you probably pictured when you were 12 years old thinking about where you'd be right now, right? Yeah. I mean, no one, I don't think anyone... <laughs> When they're 12 years old, it's like, I'm going to be uh, a self-help professional. <laughs> right. I'm going to be working in mental health or personal development or mental wellness. Like, I, that's, you know, that's not on the list. But everyone I know that, like, is passionate about it, um, including you, it's like, it's because of your story. And it, right. it serves as a, like, like a passion to do this. You know, people don't get into this field uh, because uh, they're just looking to get rich, you know? Exactly. And the ones that do, you can smell them. Right. But getting the feedback from people, it's worth more than money anyway, isn't exactly. it? When you help other people. Well, Mike Bayer, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you, Amy. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I break down my guest strategies for building mental strength and explain how you can apply them to your own life. Mike shared a lot of mental strength-building strategies during our conversation. Here are three of my favorite strategies that he discussed. Number one, think of a time when you felt at peace. 
It's tough sometimes to know who your authentic self really is. You might lose sight of who you are because you're trying to please other people. Or you might find that you're doing things to attract social media attention or you're working in a job just because it makes a lot of money. Mike says a good way to connect with yourself is to think back to a time when you felt at peace or a time when you felt good about something, not because of the recognition you received, but because you were happy with yourself. That can help you figure out more about who your authentic self really is. And when you become more authentic, your decisions get easier. Number two, create an avatar. Mike created an avatar that helps him be more of himself. His avatar happens to be a wizard. You might be thinking though, wait, doesn't it mean I'm being less authentic when I create a cartoon avatar? It might seem so on the surface. But externalization is a common therapy technique and we use it in several different ways. Sometimes we help people name their anxiety, for example. They might externalize it by calling it something like the dark cloud. Then instead of thinking I'm anxious, they remind themselves the dark cloud is trying to remind me of all the worst case scenarios right now. That could help them feel just a little bit better. When you create an avatar that's your authentic self, you can easily step back and think, what would my genuine self do right now? Then picture your avatar taking the best action, even when it's hard to do. That can help ensure that your behavior stays in line with your values. It might also help you remember that your genuine self is sometimes better and stronger than your brain gives you credit for. It could prevent you from taking the easy route or taking an unhealthy shortcut. Number three, identify one small thing you can do to make life better. When things are going really badly in life, it's easy to assume that everything is awful and horrible. And we might feel like we don't have control over anything and the world around us is crumbling. Mike says the best way to combat this is to identify one small step you can take to make your life better. The step doesn't even necessarily have to be related to the problem that you're having, though. If you're struggling with money, you might take a step to improve your health. Or if you're overwhelmed by work, do something that improves your social life. The goal of this is just to regain a sense of control in some area of your life. And that can help you feel a little bit better. So those are three of Mike's strategies that you might want to try in your own life. Remember a time when you felt completely at peace to start figuring out who your authentic self is. Create an avatar that reminds you to behave like your authentic self. And take one small step toward making some area of your life better. Remember, you can always experiment with different strategies to find out what helps you the most. If one thing doesn't work, try something else. Mike's new book, One Decision, is filled with lots of examples and strategies for changing your life. I hope that you'll go pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.